All right, how are you guys doing today? We've got five or six people are fired up, man. I'm talking about it. That's awesome. Uh, I just want to welcome you guys this morning to Connection Church. Um, we are a, uh, a uh, larger campus out of Statesboro. We have uh, campuses in, in uh, four other cities besides Pooler. And, and God's just doing a lot of cool stuff through our church. My name is Michael uh, Page, and I'm uh, the campus pastor here. I get the privilege of being um, that guy. And, um, you know, I, last week, if you came last week, I was not here. Um, we, me and my wife had a um, baby moon because my wife's currently pregnant with twins. Uh, just so y'all know that. So, um, so we kind of got away for the weekend and was able to kind of just rest a little bit and get ready for those guys because I hear it's going to be awesome. So um, happy Mother's Day, right? Happy Mother's Day. If we have any mothers in the room today, I want to get everybody else to stand up. And moms, y'all stay down. Everybody else stand up. I want to get the mothers their hand this morning. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I just wanted to share a quick little Mother's Day story. Um, obviously, I'm not a mother, uh, but I had a, I had a grandmother, and I have a mother, believe it or not. Um, my grandmother, she was probably the most influential person in my life. And one day, I was at her house, and I was probably 9 or 10 years old, and she told me, um, she said, you, you're not going to have a normal life, I don't think. I'm not sure if she was saying that because I was dumb or because, or because what, I'm not sure why, but she, was just, she just said, you're not going to have a normal life. God is going to send you to places that you don't want to go that you're going to be scared to go, and God's going to put you before people that you're going to be scared to talk to. And I, at 9 or 10 years old, I was like, oh, great, let's go ride the four-wheeler. So, and, then, and so then, like, you know, she, but honestly, guys, she's the voice that pushed me um, into, a, into what God was calling me to do. She's the person that pushed me to follow Jesus closer, to, to go after God, to go after the heart of Jesus. And she's the person that encouraged me to grow in my faith. And if you're a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or, you have, or you're a woman in here that may not have any children, but you may have influence in someone's life, I just want to let you know that you're important. Like you have so much influence in our culture, in our, in our world, in our church especially. And so I just want to let you know we're so thankful for you. And like, I think Mother's Day is kind of silly like Valentine's Day because I feel like every day should be Mother's Day. We should be honoring you guys each, each and every week. So. Uh, I just want to let you know that we love you and um, it connects. We're just very much grateful for you. So um, if you're a first-time guest this morning, I just want to welcome you. I want to give you a special welcome. And I hope you guys have the opportunity to check out our first-time guest table or our next steps table to kind of see what we're about. Um, see that we have the, what we have to offer, some things that you guys can get involved in if you want to if you want to get involved. And because what, one thing I'm excited about is at our church is what God is doing around us, man. Because you know, He's doing so much and He's doing so much in in our area right now, God's doing so much through our small groups and through our mission trips and things like that. And we have a slogan at Connection Church. If you see anybody in a blue shirt, you can probably, one of the newer ones that says, the best is yet to come. That's such an encouraging slogan, right? Like the best is yet to come. That basically means that our best days are ahead of us, right? That's, that's awesome to think about. And if you're a believer in Jesus, that is always true because your best days are ahead of you. When you get to heaven, you meet Jesus face to face, your best days are ahead of you. And so the best is yet to come. And basically, guys, what I wanna show you is like, if we're in Christ, that we truly believe that God is about to do something great in the church, the Big C Church, all throughout our country, all throughout the world. And I believe God is doing something in the hearts of his, of his followers right now. That's, you're gonna see some cool things in the coming months, in the coming years. And I just want you guys to know that God wants to use you in that. And what I love most about the church, one thing that gets me excited every time I, I just like sit, sitting back some days and watching people walk in because I see people, they're, they're full of people in different areas, like different areas of life from all over the spectrum of life. We have people in here that are doing great. Some are doing bad. Some are happy. Some are sad. Some are mad. Some have a lot of money. Some are poor. Some are broke. Some are coming out of a divorce. Some are just married. Like it, we're all over the place in the spectrum of life in the church. We come together and we worship one God. It's cool to see that, and it's, we're able to lean on one another, and God is at work all around us, and I promise you one thing, that he wants to do in your life more than you're allowing him to do right now. Yeah, I can say that about myself, too. Like, God wants to take us to another level of our faith. There's always a next step to take in our faith, um, and one reason, and if you've been here a couple of times, like, I either talk really fast or my face gets really red, or I sweat because I'm so passionate about what I'm talking about. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, his name Leonard Ravenhill, once said that every time he steps behind a pulpit to preach, he preaches like it's going to be his last sermon he will ever preach. And I, and I, I share in that passion for the preaching of the Word of God because I value it so much. And the greatest reason is because I get one hour a week, well, one hour-ish, 
a week to present the Word of God to you in a way that will inspire you to take a next step in your faith. That one hour. And so my biggest fear as a pastor and, and the other pastors I've talked to as well is that people will come in here, fill seats or other churches and deceive themselves or be deceived by the enemy. They can hear the truth of God's word and walk away and not be responsible for responding to the words that they hear. That's my biggest fear because all I can do is, is speak it. Because anytime we hear truth, anytime we hear truth, we're responsible for the application of that truth. Can we agree with that? When I hear truth, I'm responsible for the application. Knowledge without application is useless. If I have a lot of head knowledge and I don't apply it, it's, it's pointless. It's useless. It's just filling up space in my mind. And one of the greatest disconnects that I see in the Big C Church today is people who don't know who they are in Christ. They may know Jesus, who Jesus is. They may have heard the Bible stories. They may have read the scripture. They may have, they may have memorized a hundred verses. Like I always say in here, when you get to heaven's gates, you're not going to hear Jesus say, you memorized so much scripture, bro. You get, come on in. That's not what's going to happen. It's not what's going to happen. God, you know, listen, the head knowledge is, is meaningless unless it's applied. So one of the greatest disconnects is we have a lot of head knowledge, but that head knowledge sometimes hasn't, hasn't dropped down to our hearts to, to be applied out of our hands. Guys, if you have breath in your lungs today, if you have breath, if you have energy, if you're living, which you all are, I hope, you, if you're living in this room, then you have purpose. You have a you have. You have a plan that God has for your life. God's not done and, and can do far more than you can think or imagine is what Scripture says if you would just surrender your life to His control. And don't feel alone in that either. I'm not care, I don't care if you're 10 or 100 in this room. Everybody's got stuff in this room that needs to be surrendered to God. Everybody, including the guy talking to you. Every single person has a next step in their life to surrender to God for their next step to give over the thing that might be controlling their life so that he can work through us better. And that's what this series is all about that we're going through right now. It's called Broken. This is the last week. We're on week six. And it's basically talking about how God uses broken people to carry out his purposes. And if he didn't use broken people, then there would be no people to use, right? I got to talk back, right? I'm going to leave. There, yeah, there's no, if, 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 if there's no, Broken, if there's no people, to, if we're not, if he's not, he uses broken people, guys. And if he doesn't use broken people, then there's nobody else to use. And we're going to be looking at Elijah today, a man who was described by so many people. And this was what he was. He was called Elijah sometimes, and he was called the man of God sometimes. How would you like to be called the man of God? That was your friend. That's what your friends called you. It'd be awesome. You know, or the woman of God. You know, that, that's awesome. You think about that. And so even though he carried that name, Elijah, Elijah means the, the, you know, the Hebrew meaning of it is mean, my God is Jehovah. That's awesome. Like my God is Jehovah. My God is a true God. And it's no coincidence we're about to read the story about how he, he God approves himself through Elijah in this story. And so even though God uses Elijah in incredible ways, we still see Elijah after all is said and done, plagued by paralyzing fear, by, um, you know, by unmet expectations, and we see him running to the hills. And it's crazy, but we're going to look at this in a minute. And, um, but I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump right in. So let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that, that you uh, just provided a way back to you, Father, out of our sin. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us, Father. God, I pray that you would just make that real to someone this morning in a brand new way. God, I pray for walls to be torn down. I pray for chains to be released. I pray, God, that people's eyes will be open to the truth of Scripture to see that you're the one true God. Father, if, if someone here tonight, to this morning, God, is, is far from you, God, I pray that you would draw them back. God, I pray that we would know that you're not an angry God or you're not mad at us and you're not surprised where, where we may be in life. But you want to gently call us back to you, Father. But we love you and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I asked you guys a few weeks ago if anybody had any on, um, irrational fears. Y'all remember that sermon? Like I said, y'all have any irrational fears? Like one person raised their hand. So we have one person that's honest. And so we're going to talk about honesty next week. But um, so does anybody have any irrational fears in here? Like I'm scared of this or this. So six, we got some more, five or six. Good. All right. So some people said heights. Some people said snakes. Some people said flying or dying or public speaking. And I'd share a statistic with you a couple weeks ago that said, actually the, the statistics show that more people are afraid of public speaking than they are dying which is weird. And so taking it to another level, has anybody in here ever found themselves in a place where they're just like, yep, I shouldn't be here. Shouldn't be here. 
Like, this is not where I should be at. I said, hey, have you, this might be a mistake. I, I, might, I might be in trouble in this one. I might should not have come this way. And so um, you, you've run, you may have run a marathon without doing any training. Any, guy, any one of those guys in here? Triathlon? No? Okay, me either. Uh, you might have taken a job. You may have taken a job, or, 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 and during training, you were like, these guys are speaking like Japanese, man. I don't know what they're talking about. I might be in trouble. You may, you may be, this is me, you might have taken classes in school and that they were way over your head and you, you don't know where A was supposed to go and X was supposed to go and you're not sure how they got 100 out of that equation. It's like, what's happening? You may have skydived, you may have bungee jumped, you may have uh, swam with sharks, um, or you, I don't know. But I, I found myself in these kind of situations way more than I want to admit. And I, I was going to tell you a story of one, of one time where I, was, uh, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to, to Peru in the Amazon area. And one of the, one of the villages we went to, um, these guys, some of the elders came up to us and said, hey, do you want to go out tonight and go crocodile hunting with us? And I was like, I'm in college, got some pride, absolutely, let's do it. And so we get in these little tiny boats, and there's little cut-out wooden boats, and these guys are probably half my size. He comes out to his little his little hut with a hat, duct tape with a flashlight on. I was like, this is already a great opportunity for, this is a death right here. And so we're like, we're going out and he's, he's like paddling. We have three or four other guys with us that are in other boats. And I can't speak the language they speak. So I'm sitting here just nodding and doing hand motions. And we go through these little tributaries and this is in the Amazon now. And so we get into this little open lake and it's at pitch black dark, no lights. And so I'm sitting here thinking about Discovery Channel, the movie Anaconda, all these different movies. And so, and so I'm like, good Lord, I'm about to die for real. And so um, we, get to this, we get to this little lake, and in the Amazon, there's these things. They're, they're pink dolphins. That's literally what they are. They're pink dolphins. And you can hear them blow, their blow holes blowing in that lake. And I'm sitting here like, we're about to die. This is crazy. So we get to the edge of this lake, and this guy stands up in the canoe. And if you've ever been in a canoe, it's not very sturdy. And this is a wooden canoe, which is even worse. So I'm sitting here like, you know. And so he gets up to the edge of the, edge of the water, trees hanging over. He stands up. He's looking at something in the tree. I'm like, yep, there's a, there's a cobra or something about to come latch itself to me. And so I'm like, what's happening? And so he, he snatches a bird out of the tree, breaks his neck, ties a rope around it, ties it to the tree, and throws it in the water. I'm like, this is not going good at all. I said, I, I want to go back home for real. And so we're sitting here. And so we, thank God we didn't kill anything. We, we went back home about an hour later because I think he kind of caught on that I was about to freak out. And so um, we went back to our, our little village, and I woke up, thank goodness, the next morning. But the next day, a guy came in with a little eight-foot crocodile. I was like, I'm glad that wasn't us last night. But like, this is where we're at with Elijah this morning. Elijah is the man of God. He is like, he has been used by God to do countless things. He, he, is, the, he is awesome. Like, he is God's instrument of use for the kingdom of Israel to be turned back to him. And he comes and he finds himself in a place of fear and trembling because of a little tiny woman named Jezebel. And God, God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, you're not supposed to be here. This is not where I called you. And that's exactly where I found myself in that canoe. But before, I, before we get there, I want to do a little background. For almost a century, we talked about David and Saul. We talked about, well, I hadn't talked about Solomon yet. But for a century, Israel's been ruled by David, Saul, and Solomon, all, all who were great men of God. And these are great leaders. They're all flawed, like we talked about before. We talked about some of their issues. But at the end of Solomon's reign, there was a civil war that broke out in the kingdom of Israel. They had been united under God's anointed leadership from David and Saul and Solomon. But uh, it, it broke up into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern kingdom. And if you're reading the Old Testament ever, you might get confused because you might read about Judah and you might be, read about Israel. And what it was, it was all Israel was just divided because of a civil war. So the northern kingdom was the kingdom in which, um, my, my, the northern kingdom was Judah and the southern kingdom was Israel. And over the next 200 years until, until the time of Israel's captivity, where we read about in Jeremiah and other places, the northern kingdom had 19 rulers that were all wicked. And what happened was the northern kingdom, they had king, they had king after king after king after king, family after family that would kill each other. I want to be king. Kill, kill. All the way down the line, they killed each other. Assassinations, all these different kind of things. Um, southern kingdom, they had 17 rulers. Half of those were wicked. The other eight of those were, were, were semi-good, if you can say that. But these kings set up temples to pagan gods and promoted idolatry. They, they tore down God's temple. They tore down the God's altar. They put false prophets in, in place. They put false gods in place, statues in place. And each of these kings became very evil in the sight of God. And it says in 1 Kings, it says, then, then came Ahab. And Ahab was more wicked than all the others, if that can be possible. So Ahab was bad. He married a woman from Sidon. Her name was Jezebel, who was a very domineering woman 
to Ahab. Basically, she ruled the kingdom for Ahab, and she was more wicked than Ahab. She set up Asherah poles, which is basically a false god, set up temples to Baal. Baal is a, is a multiple different gods. The, the god here we're going to be talking about is the god of, of rain and fertility, basically fertility of the ground to be to grow crops and things like that, um, who controlled the seasons and the crops and the land. Um, then God sends Elijah. Elijah comes out of nowhere. Elijah was rugged in appearance, tough. He was bold. He, had a, he was very loud in his speech. He was very in your face. Um, he was from a place called Tishba, which was so small that no one knows today where it actually was or is. But all we know is that it was in Gilead, which um, is, is still kind of a remote place. And this place was known for its solitude, a place of, full of very unpolished and, and not sophisticated people. So kind of like where I'm from in Brooklyn, a bunch of rednecks, you know what I mean? Like a bunch of people that just are loud and boisterous, rough, they're they're, you know, they're, they're very tan in color because they're farmers and they're, they're out in the woods all the time. And so right from the get-go, you can look in um, chapter, um, 1 Kings chapter 17. You'll have to turn there. I'll have it on the screen for you. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Right from the get-go, Elijah is in Ahab's face. This is the first time we see Elijah in the Bible. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So I'm sitting here thinking this guy is from Tishba, a little small town outside of Israel somewhere, and this guy walks, just tramps right up in the king's palace saying, look, look, bro, you're evil, no rain, peace. He walks out, and it's like straight up just, just drops the mic on him. And so what is happening? Like, you know, God sends Elijah to um, Cherith after this. But what's interesting to me is that whenever Elijah says, you know what, you're serving the God of Baal, there's, God, there's God's... There's Baal temples and, and altars everywhere in the city. God is so apparently your Baal is, is the God of rain and fertility. Guess what? The true God is about to turn off the faucet for three years. Get ready. I'm leaving. Then he left. He leaves. He's about to show who the real God is. And so he leaves. And so what happens is God sends him immediately to Cherith. And Cherith is in the mountains. It's in a ravine. It's hidden away. So God hides him away and provides for him. And he raises him up and he trains him how to be a prophet. And he, he brings, he, uh, God provides ravens to bring him meat and bread and water and to, to feed him. And, to, and he had a lot of alone time with God. And it said, the Bible says he was there for a while. It wasn't a, it was a specific amount of time. And so what he does there is a time of preparation. But then, after a while, it says the brook dried up, which is funny because a lot of times when the book dry, brook dries up for us, the resources dry up for us, we start complaining, right? But for him, his brook drying up was a direct result of a prayer that he prayed for the rain to stop. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. So that's a good lesson for you to put on the pen board of your mind somewhere. So basically after that, God sends him to Zarephath to live with a widow and her son. The widow is poor from the drought and has no food. And God uses Elijah to save the widow and her son. Even, he, he even raises her son from the dead because of, because of the um, results of the drought. And this was actually the first resurrection we ever see in Scripture. And so we're seeing Elijah do a lot of things. He's being prepared in Cherith and Zarephath. Being, God's raising him up. God's raising him up. And the word Cherith means to tear down. So come, sometimes God has to bring us down to bring us up has to knock us down to build us back up. And so the thing is, guys, after he's done being prepared, the word of God comes back to Elijah and says, go back to Ahab. And I'm thinking Elijah's probably pretty jacked up at this point. He says, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And this sets the stage, guys, for chapter 18, which is the fight of the century, I think. It's kind of like Rocky IV. If you need Rocky fans in here, Rocky IV is the best, just saying. No amens. All right. So, um, so God, the Baal, God versus the Baal gods of Jezebel. Ahab goes to meet Elijah because he's finally found Elijah. So, and, and read, we're going to read chapter 18, verses 17 through 21 in 1 uh, in Kings. And this is where Elijah and Ahab meet. Remember, Ahab's an evil king, but he's being domineered by his wife. And so this is where he says, when, he saw, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and, your family, you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Passive. So these people, Elijah put God or the Baal gods before him. 
And the same, the same um, offer is being made to us every day. You realize that? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve man? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? Are you going to serve, where are you at with that? You know, it's, 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 it's a black or white thing. And so basically what happens is Elijah says, we're going to build altars. So Elijah reconstructs the altar of the Lord, 12 stones for 12 tribes. He says, you get a bull, I'm going to get a bull. You call on your God to consume the altar. And after you're done, I'm going to call the God to, on the true God to, 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 to put fire on the altar, to bring fire. And so basically what happens is they go all day long, these, these prophets of Baal, these four, 850 Astra and Baal prophets are sitting there like, you know, oh, Baal, please send fire, please send fire, please. They start cutting themselves. They start like crying out to him all day long. And Elijah's over there sitting over there, leaning up against a tree, and he's like, you know, you need to yell a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone to relieve himself in the bathroom. Maybe, he's, uh, maybe he can't hear you. Raise your voices. And so he's making fun of him is what he's doing. I love Elijah. It's so cool. And so... And so finally, and so finally he says, all right, y'all back up. And so he comes down and he digs a trench around the altar of the Lord. It's, it's big enough to hold 24 pounds of grain. It's probably about two or three foot deep. And he says, put some water in it. Put, another, put some more water in it. Do it again. Put it all over the altar. So then he calls on the name of God. He says, God, you show these people today who you are. And so fire comes out of heaven, it laps up the water, it, laps, it, it just, just consumes the entire altar, like nothing's left. Like, so basically, the, the prophets of Baal are like, you know, wow, man, this is awesome. This is the true God. This is the true God. And so basically, um, Elijah has all the, the prophets of Baal and, and uh, the Asherah um, prophets, they had them all killed, and then they go, they go back and report this to, to Jezebel, and Jezebel's really mad. Okay, and so that's where we're going to pick up. Jezebel is really mad. In, very, in chapter 19, we're going, to look at, uh, we're going to look at chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. This is where the story gets kind of weird because we just saw God use Elijah in some awesome ways. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything that had happened and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one, okay, this is just stupid. Like the gods, they just, they just proved your gods were not real. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what gods, that's what Elijah's response should have been. But this was Elijah's response. He says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Him leaving his servant is a sign of I quit. I'm, I'm, I'm taking my toys and going home. Um, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I had, had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then, the, then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. This is also Mount Sinai where, where Moses got the Ten Commandments. There he went to a cave and slept the night. This trip was roughly about 100 miles, just so you know. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous to the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful, then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, for the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous. He, said it he says it again. <laughs> I've been very zealous for the glory of God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of, of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimish, Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Zaphat, from Abel, Maloha, to succeed you as prophet. Those are some crazy names. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So my question, if I was Elijah's friend, is what is happening? What are you doing? 
Like you just seen, you've just seen the greatest move of God in your life and you're already running. Like look at what God has done in your life. Look, look back and see the miracles that he just done, he's just done in your life. You know, you know, how do you go from trusting God to face 850 false prophets? 850 people is a lot of people. 850 false prophets and false gods watching the true God of heaven work an anointing of an incredible miracle through you to running for your life from a woman swearing by those same false gods that she was going to kill you. How do you, what is happening? It's, a, it's an illusion, you know. At this point in Elijah's life, my greatest struggle would have been pride, not fear. God would have had to pull me off that mountain with some people or something. I would have been there having an obnoxious celebration that I just like won the day right? And so I'd have had, I've been taunting Jezebel rather than, than running from her. I've been like, you know, did you see what my God just did? Oh yeah, okay, just making sure. Do you still want some? Because I don't think you do. Okay, you know, think about all that Elijah had seen God do at this point. Think about it. God sent him before the king boldly, right away, no rain. God sent him to Cherith and Zarephath, raising him up, raising him up, training him. God brought him back to Ahab and Jezebel for the showdown. We just saw that. Fire fell. Elijah prayed. Rain comes. Um, where is Elijah right after this? The verse after this, in a cave, trembling in fear of someone spewing empty threats. And what this teaches us is that we often see in Scripture and in our lives that spiritual highs are usually followed by times of testing or spiritual lows. Have you seen that to be true in your life? I have in my life. It's, it, it's, usually, it's usually followed by times of testing or spiritual lows. You can go home and look in Mark, Mark chapter 1, where we see an example of how God took Jesus from a spiritual high, being baptized and commissioned into ministry, straight to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Y'all remember that? Yes? Okay, good. All right. Other biblical examples. Look at Moses. Moses, God called Moses. What happened? 40 years in the wilderness. God called David. What happened? Back to, she, uh, back to sheep herding and, and scooping poop, running from Saul. God called Paul. Y'all bet y'all know this, and I had to do some digging on this one. God called Paul. Paul spent 17 years in the background before he became a missionary and became famous biblically. 17 years being prepared. There's not one second in our lives, guys, that God has wasted in our life. There's not one second of our lives that's been wasted on God's timeline. God uses everything in your life to bring himself glory and to bring you good to raise you up, to do the things he wants to do in your life. The, thing, the people that hinder it are us. He wants to use you to, to train you and to, and to do kingdom work through you. But more importantly, he wants to create in you a need for his presence. He wants to create in you a need that has you calling out to him, Lord, I need you, I want you. Lord, show me, your, show me who you are. And this is when we're given the choice to go seek him or to go our own way. God is always trying to draw you to himself, always. He's trying to draw you to himself, and he knows that is where we'll find fulfillment if we continuously seek other things. That would never happen. If our lives seem to be continuously in a moment of testing, guys, if it's, in a, if it's a never-ending, like, I'm just in the phase of testing. God's testing me. I'm being tested. I'm being tested. If you're in a continuous state of that, and you're not bearing any fruit from those trials, we may be self-inflicting this pain and this trouble in our own self. Does that make sense? And so we need to see, like, to give God the control to have the, to have the power to, to work in the details of our life. He wants us to put the yes on the table and watch him work. Say yes to God. So there's two things I want two questions I want to answer really quick this morning about um, what we see in this story is how did Elijah get here from the mountain to the cave and how did God respond? Because I think we can learn a lot from it in our life. You know, the first question is how did, God, how did Elijah get here? There's three things. The first one is fear. He allowed some you know, unresolved fears in his life to come, come in and just come into his life. And you can look back at verses three, and, 3 through 5 in here. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. He quit. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and lay down. I've had enough, Lord, take my life. I'm, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm not, I'm no use for it. I'm like, this escalated quickly. This was like, Elijah, you're, you went from hero to zero in literally one verse. One verse. It, it, from you went to bed one night and you woke up not cool anymore, Elijah. Like, what happened? Like, there's no evidence of any kind of downward spiral or any kind of struggle. It's just a sharp downward turn, like, like cliff. And like, is anybody else in here like that? Like, for me, I was reading this this week. I'm like, yeah, it sounds a lot like me because I have never in my life had a hard time half telling any mistakes I've ever made. Every mistake I ever made has been like, whew, big time, you know. And this is Elijah. He, he don't trust, he doesn't trust God. He goes his own way because of fear. He goes from shaking his finger in the face of God's enemies to hightailing it out of there because he's scared. 
Elijah showed zero evidence of fear in the face of those 850 prophets that wanted to kill him and wanted him dead. But when Jezebel was killing the God's prophets, he didn't show any fear then either. But when she made it personal and pointed her finger at Elijah and said, it's you I'm coming after, he ran for his life. Went after life. So what happened? Elijah's faith that he had to see God move gave way to fear. And so how many of us this morning have had times where our faith turns over into fear? Because we, we've, we, we have to hear this is fear, guys, is never from God. Never from God. Fear is never from God. We, but we compromise, don't we, sometimes with this? And, and we, we do this a lot. I've had conversations with people. I mean, honestly, I wanted to slap them out. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I know it's not right, but I can't help it. Anybody says I can't help it, I'm like, oh, God, I got to go. You know, you think about, I know it's not right. I know I'm not supposed to be fearful or worried, but I can't help it. That, that's crap, just to be honest. Listen, God is a God of, of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's what he tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a God of what? Power, love, self-discipline. Think about this. So often we tend to trust our fears and doubt God, right? Don't we do that? I do that. Like we, I trust my fears. Like I'm not sure if I can pay this bill. I'm not sure if you know, my, life, my wife likes me today. I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. I'm not sure. Oh, I'm scared, you know, but I doubt God. You know, I'm not, God, you're not going to deal with this. You're not, you don't worry about me and this little small things, but he does. <clears throat> he does. We must doubt our fears and trust God. We have to. That has to be the way it goes. We have to doubt our fears and trust God. Because Proverbs, this is, this is great, Proverbs 9, this is where our fear should be. The only fear we should have is fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's Proverbs 9.10. It's such a great verse. So number one, that was fear. The second thing that got Elijah here was unmet expectations. How many of us have dealt with that before? Like, seriously, I, I, I thought this was going to happen, but this didn't happen. What the heck, bro? It's like not happening. It's not. Elijah, what Elijah had hoped for, what he, had, what he had hoped would happen, didn't happen. And you can look in verse 10 in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. It'll be on the screen. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your, your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Wow. Like he's, I mean, he's scared, but he's also, Lord, this didn't go like I thought it was going to go. He thought that Israel and its leaders would repent and turn to God. When they saw the fire, they would turn and it would come. He thought the king and queen would turn from their wicked ways and follow God, but this didn't happen like you thought it would. As people, we all have gone through these times and situations that, that didn't turn out the way we had hoped or expected or imagined. And sometimes those situations put us in a place of total despondency. Like we check out. Like if God's not going to do it, then I, I'm just going to sit here to where I am. I ain't, I'm not going to, I mean, just you go, God, do what you're going to do. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just be stagnant and passive and for the rest of my life until I get to heaven. And thank God I'm saved. You know, that's not what God's called us to. And this is where Elijah was confused, man. He got confused. He was taken off guard. He was, his confidence was rattled, and he, and he had and gone, and he had turned to despair. He said, God, I thought this was it. I thought this was when Israel would turn back to you and worship you. I thought this is why I went to Cherith. I thought this is why I went to Zarephath. I thought this is why that I've gone through everything I've gone through in my life. And this might be some of us in here. Lord, I, I thought this was the direction you wanted me to go, but everything seems to be not working out right. This is hard. Or, Lord, this is my best friend. We were supposed to make years of memories together, but she just got news that she only has months to live. Lord, Lord, why? What happened? Why, Lord? Why, why, why? Unmet expectations. Because I want you to hear this truth this morning, guys, because just, just because God is not working like we wanted him to work or the way we thought he should work doesn't mean he's not working. We have to hear that. God doesn't let us down. Ever. God will never let you down. That's in Scripture. He remains constant in all his ways. He remains good in all he does. Everything he does is good. Everything. Deuteronomy 7, 9. You, like, don't worry about flipping. Just look. It says, now, Know, therefore, the, there, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations what some, some versions say. So we see it's not God that lets us down. It's, it, it will, it will, anytime you're let down, it will always be a result of your limited view of God and your limited view and understanding of your own circumstances and situations. 
Always. Our limited view. And that's why our answer to God and our answer to circumstances in our life should be an always seeking after a greater revelation and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Because once we have that, we can start understanding more of where God's at, where he's coming from. It's good. It's if, because listen to this. This is, this is my reasoning behind this. If a good, all-powerful, all-wise God was fully in charge at the cross when he sacrificed his own son in my place, I can be absolutely sure that he's in charge of my life even when he's not doing the things I expected him to do. Can we say that? Right? If he was fully in charge here, he's got to be fully in charge here because he's constant. He's constant. He is. And guys, this is it. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord and gain a proper perspective of who he is, king. He's the king. We have to learn how to worship and adore a king. And we have to see who we are. We're frail. We're, our, our lives are fragile. Like, if you've ever lost someone in your life, it brings you to a halt. You're like, life's fragile. All of a sudden, man, things get real. Like, listen, we have to know where we stand before him. We have to surrender our perceived right. Like, we, we're all about rights, and especially in this country, right? We have, to, we have to surrender our perceived right to determine what is just and good for us and humbly recognize that God alone gets to decide what's going to, how he's going to deal with his people. That's humility. That's, that's, that is all-out humility right there. And how we respond to unmet expectations is going to reveal to us just how much we truly trust God. Truly trust God. How we respond to those times where things don't go as expected, that, 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 result, that shows you how much you trust or don't trust God. So the last thing, it brings us to the, the, the third thing under this little point, is, is, is Elijah lost sight of God. He lost sight of God. He lost, he lost sight of God because he saw Jezebel coming after him. From the very get-go, we see Elijah cherish the presence of God, don't we? And Cherith and, and Zarephath, he comes before God. And he, you know, based on his boldness in the king's presence in chapter 17, where we talked about a second ago, it's evident that Elijah had a close walk with the Lord. He was constantly walking with, with the Lord. Every time in these first two chapters that we read, it says the word of the, God, word of the Lord came to Elijah. Anytime you see that, pay attention. It says the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It always was followed by, so he went where the Lord said. He did what the Lord said. Elijah went. Elijah went. But his fear had taken his eyes off of God and it's placed it on Jezebel. And that's exactly what sin does. It takes your eyes off of God and places it on the object of our obsession or our desire or our want as humans. Is there something that has caused you to lose sight of God this morning? Is there something that might have caused you to lose sight of God? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's someone who's pulled you away from God and community. Maybe it's, it's, it's not worth it. Maybe it's a schedule that's filled to the max with things God never called you to fill your schedule with in the first place, but you have a hard time saying no, so you just do it. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin that's drawing you away from God's presence. It, it might be a misplaced fear that's paralyzed your life and taking you out of the game. It, it might be passivity. It might be fear has paralyzed you to passivity. Some ways we can know, and I've learned in my own life, <clears throat> some ways that we can know if we've taken our eyes off of God you know, and, and kind of like basing off Elijah's situation is there, there's a couple of things. We feel alone in our circumstances. I'm all alone out here in the wilderness in the cave. God, they're killing all the, I mean, I feel all alone and that's a lie. You know, sin drives us out, tries to isolate us. So the next thing is we, we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances. It's self-imposed. We get overwhelmed. Like I've taken my eyes off God because I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. And the next thing is we, we start telling God what we need instead of asking God what he wants. That's a big one. And so have you taken your eyes off the Lord and placed it on your circumstances? It's time to reset our focus as a church, as the, the big C church, so that we can start following God where he wants us to go. The second question, look at, look, let's look how God responded. God uses three responses to meet Elijah's brokenness with the fear, the unmet expectations, and the losing sight of God. The first thing, he meets, he meets Elijah with love. He meets Elijah with love, like God does, Right? God does that. He meets us in our place of brokenness with love, not condemnation, not a punch to the face, not, a, not anything like that. He meets you with love and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, man? Like, look, God breaks down Elijah's fear by showing him love. He sends an angel to provide for him food. And, and by the way, anytime in the Bible that, that an angel is sent, it's not like an angel is just walking by, oh, you need some food. No, that's not what happened. An angel is always like giving like direction, God he sent, he, God sends angels to these places. And so God sent an angel to Elijah to meet his needs. And God gently asked him, like, what are you doing here? But whenever, anytime God asks you what you're doing here, does God not know why you're, what you're doing there? No, he, he knows what Elijah's doing there. 
He, want, he wants Elijah, he was asking for Elijah's sake. He wants Elijah to say it so he can realize where he's at and where God's at and how far apart they are. He didn't, he didn't want to throw his mistakes in his face or laugh at him or from running away. God wasn't mad at Elijah or disappointed or surprised. He wanted to restore Elijah. He wanted to restore him back to ministry. And what this tells me is that God comes after us. Thank God, right? God comes after us. He pursues us. He's a God that pursues his children. You can look in Luke 15. We've read this parable before. Jesus says, suppose one of you had 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? And then he, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and rejoices. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He pursues us until we're found. We get the choice to say no or yes. He pursues us until we're found. It's me and it's you and it's us that run from him. Isn't that crazy? That, isn't that crazy how that works? It's crazy. And like, it's so crazy. And like, this leads us to our next point is grace. God showed him grace. In his unmet, unmet expectation, he gives him grace. In, in verses 11 through 13 and 19, it says, well, I'm going to over to our page. It says, uh, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rock before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. Then came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then the Lord, then the voice said to him, what are you doing here? God tells Elijah to go out and stand in the cave in verse 11. But if you notice, you need to pay attention to this. He doesn't, he doesn't come out of the cave and go out and stand up until verse 13. Think about this. I love this. We can't miss the imagery in this because this is, a, this is a huge moment in Elijah's life. The mountain had shielded Elijah from God's wrath, the wind, the fire, the earthquake, so that he could have, be able to receive God's intimacy in the still, small voice. You see that? So cool. He doesn't leave the mountain until after that had passed by. This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus shielded God's wrath and judgment on the cross so that we'd be able to experience God's intimacy through Christ. It's the same picture. The picture of God's gentle whisper is a sign of intimacy. Think about the, when you tell, when you, if anybody has kids in here, it's Mother's Day, when you tell your kids goodnight or you pray with them or you, or you tuck them in at night, it's usually done in a whisper or, or you're really close to their face. You're intimate with them. Or you're, think about the first time you heard someone say, I love you or you know, you know, it's, 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 probably, it's probably safe to say that you were close in that moment and it was a soft whisper, I love you, I love you. And like, this is where Jesus was doing it. God was saying, what are you doing here? You know this isn't where you belong. This is, not, this is not where I led you. This isn't right. God was trying to bring Elijah's heart back to Cherith when Elijah depended on God for everything, for protection, for food, for everything. Elijah, whenever, he, whenever God spoke, Elijah had to lean in, had to lean in to hear God. He had shut out. He had to shut out the other voices of the world, his fears, his hang-ups, his unmet expectations, his disappointments, his, his desires, his, all these things. He had to, he had to leave, shut those things out. His everything to be able to hear God's gentle voice speaking, and that's what allowed him to be restored. And the way he was restored is God reset his focus. He reset his focus. Verse 15 through 18, he says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. That's a great line. Go back the way you came. And what he says after this is, I've got more work for you to do. Kings to anoint. I got, I got words for you to preach. I got people for you to reach. He still had some prophet work to do, some kings to anoint, some messages to be delivered, and a leader to raise up in Elisha. God takes Elisha from a place of hiding and restores him to a place back where he's useful. And I can promise you this morning, guys, if you had not heard anything I said this morning, is this. I can promise you that God is still in that business today of doing this in people's lives, drawing us back to himself, drawing us. If you're, if you're, if you're here and you know Jesus, you know that draw. You know that drawing, God pulling you in. I was just talking with someone before the service today about that, how God works in the details of our lives to draw us back to him or to draw us to him. So my, my question to you guys is this, is, you know, what about you? Personally, what about you? Like, I don't want to talk to anybody except you. In the, pretend like it's you and I in a room in a chair. What about you? Like, what about you? Where are you at in this? You know, is, is God asking you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm not talking about church. I just mean like, I'm glad you're here. 
Don't go anywhere. I'm saying, like, what are you doing here? Like, what, what, in this place in your life, what are you doing here? Are you living it? You might be living in sin. You might be not living in necessarily sin, but you may, God may have been calling you for years, and you haven't responded. God's saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Is there an area of your life that you need to come and surrender? Like, have you been running from God? Have you found yourself in a cave of some sort that you need to receive the freedom that Jesus offers today because he does? He wants to draw you out of that cave and he wants to draw you into his presence. I can promise you his presence is far greater than anything you've ever experienced. It's full of love and peace and understanding and I promise you he will pick you up and put you on a path that leads to being fulfilled and being used for the kingdom of God, which is what we all want if we really ask ourselves. Jesus set this up in a way that he came to earth and died a death that I deserved, that he didn't deserve, to provide the only way back to him. If you've ever been here at any moment, or you've heard and you probably will continue to hear the biggest question you'll ever be asked is what are you going to do with Jesus? Like, we have two options. We get to accept him or reject him. There's no in-between with, with the Lord. There's no, in, there's no in-between with following Jesus. There's no, I'm kind of following Jesus. There's no, I'm in the light. It's either you're in the darkness or you're in the light, period. That's what Scripture tells us. And so this morning, like, my question to you is, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Because he's good. But if you've never experienced him, you can't trust him because you can't trust someone you've never experienced or just someone you don't know. So this morning, I just want to ask you, I'll always give you this opportunity. If you've never come to the Lord, if you've never said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you, I want to walk with you the rest of my life. I want to, I want to, be, I want to go where you say go. I want to do what you say do. I want to feel the love that you have to offer. If you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity. I want, you, I want to ask you to be bold, and we want to pray with you. I want to see, would you just raise your hand so we can pray with you and walk with you through that step? Because that's a big step in your faith. Is that anybody this morning? See, if I want to follow the Lord first time. The second thing is, you may have been following Jesus for a long time. It may be, it may come to have come to the point where you've been doing it for so long that you've become um, stagnant, or you may be on a plateau, or you may be um, finding it hard to hear His voice. I just want to give you an opportunity to come reconnect with the Lord this morning. If you need some prayer, or if you need to pray, if you need to lay something down at this altar during the week, this is a school Sundays. This is an altar. Come lay it down. We'll have somebody to pray with you. I'll pray with you. I'll just stand over here. We'll pray together. If you need something, anything, we want to we best steward you guys to be able to follow Jesus the right way. And there's things between you and him, you can't get there. And so I want to pray this for, for that with you. And I just want to just pray for you, and then we're going to uh, go into a time of prayer. So please come. As I start to pray, um, just come to the front, and we'll, we'll be here for you. Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, I just want to honor you with everything that we do. God, I just pray that we would just um, drop our guards, that we would just open our hearts to you, Father, that we would, if we were in a cave this morning, God, that we would just walk into your presence, God, in a way that, that would just be honoring to you, God, that we would just surrender the things, Father, that we need to surrender, that we would turn over our lives and our hearts to you, Jesus. God, that we would be a church that um, just honors you in every step of the way, every step that we take, that we would honor you, um, that we would just um, follow you all of our days, God, we would be a church that's, that, is, that, is, that is described as being one who cares about people, caring about um, the people that, that you love. So we love you, and I just pray all this in Jesus' name.